The bards must drink and junk it. Hello, friends and strangers. Thank you for listening to Tomorrow, Tomorrow We, we Die. Die. Show about the trials and adventures that happen while touring as a working musician, told to you by people who have built their lives or portions of their lives around writing and playing the music they love. We are your hosts. I'm John Wisniewski. And I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And every episode, we will bring you an interview with people who are out there day-to-day grinding against the many odds just to have their show shut down by the Hawaiian Mafia. Jeff! Hello, John. Happy fucking New Year! Happy New Year to you, my friend. We made it. We did. 2020. We got through 2019. I didn't think it was going to happen. Uh, you have any highlights from last year? Uh, yeah, aside, actually. Aside from starting another project with your buddy, yes. that is a overcommitment of your time and will yield no money at yes. all? Yes, and starting yet another podcast yeah. <laughs> to go into the podcast storium right. or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> 1,875,643. That's us. The podcast malaise. Uh-huh. I have a highlight. Yeah. Um, first... A big one was the show that's coming out pretty soon after this one, mm-hmm. sitting down with horrors. At oh, our, yeah, you're at so lucky. Our friend's house, Matt and Brandy, who were very nice to host us. I believe they're um, featured on that interview a little bit, too. Yes, they yeah. are. That was a really wonderful night, and nights like that were what I kind of hoped the show would bring around. You're just having a night to just <laughs> sort of like chill with a band and talk tour stuff. And yeah, I don't know. It was a very pleasant evening. I greatly enjoyed it. Another one was Cherubs playing at the Highline. Oh yeah, they slayed it. That's a highlight for me too, getting to meet those guys. One of the best shows of the year. It was so good. And I won't claim that I knew much about Cherubs beforehand. Uh I had to get told (laughs) yeah, <laughs> you got schooled. <laughs> but I went, and holy God, was it good. Yeah. And that new record they put out is so good. Yeah, they're on fire. I mean, they took a huge long break off, come out like a year or two ago with a brand new record, and everybody's like, Cherubs has a record out? And they're like, yes, they do, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're just killing it. For me, earlier this year, I got to see this band Pontiac. Have you ever heard of those guys? No. They're like a power trio, three brothers. They play these little teeny tiny, like, what you'd think of as, like, amps for country but they do this uh-huh. sabbathy doom Ooh. but with three-part country harmonies Ooh. it's really good wow it's really good and i just happened to be doing sound for the show uh-huh. and here's this band that just blew my mind that's awesome highly recommend their last two records i also got to see the liturgy show a couple months ago and uh you know i kind of had written them off no offense people as like sort of a hipster black metal band which they are i mean it happens yeah but their <laughs> rhythm section that they had for that show it was so incredible and they just they really won me over you know, they kind of took me to that next level where I was like, okay, now I like this band mm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good feeling, you know? Yeah. Hey, speaking of shows, quick reminder, we're doing the Tomorrow We Die show party in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Everyone in Seattle, we want to see you there. If you don't live in Seattle. You can fly in. Yeah, you're still invited. Yeah. We'd love to see you. January 25th at the Clock Out Lounge. Clock Out. Sandrider, Fucked and Bound from episode three, Brian and Lisa. Mm-hmm. Tacos, Lupe from episode two. Mm-hmm. Cat Toy, Jeff from episode all. <laughs> <laughs> you got me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please come out January 25th. Yes, there are still tickets available, and I would say that both Sandrider and Fucked and Bound have crowds that don't tend to pre-sale tickets. Yeah. So you're, it'll, it'll they're going to they're gonna come to the door. So if you definitely want to get in, please, please buy a ticket. Yeah, it's like our second show. So hopefully people will show up. Huh? Mm-hmm. So we have someone really fun that we talked to uh, this time around, Sir Brian Cook. I believe he's a knight. <laughs> <laughs> if, there, if there ever was, I don't know, what do you call it, medieval? He is quite chivalrous. Definitely Let's chivalrous. Put it that way. Yeah. Legendary musician. Gentleman. 
botch. These arms are snakes. Uh, yeah, Mammifer, Russian Circles. Sumac. All the best bands yeah. all at once. I gush in person to him in the podcast, but like he's played on three of my all-time favorite <laughs> records, which is like, how does any one person do that in three separate bands? It's and then he's so chill. Yeah. He doesn't like get in your face about it. He just happens to be quietly the best baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> also a writer. He's a freelance journalist for uh, music publications. He's published his own book, The Second Chair is Meant for You. I read it. It doesn't suck. If you want to check out his writing, it's at Bubbles and Guts, and that's G-U-T-Z dot Tumblr dot com. All around, nice, wonderful human. So before we get into it, here's a little botch. Welcome. Thanks. Oh, we're starting. Okay. Yeah, we're going. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Hi. <laughs> so, yeah, why don't you tell us who you are, even though we totally know who you are, what you play, what bands you played in, Sure. how long? My name is Brian Cook. I play bass, guitar, mostly, currently in Russian Circles, also in a project called Sumac. Oh, yeah. My first band to do any kind of touring was a hardcore band called Botch. That was your first band? It was not my first band, uh-huh. but it was my first band that did anything. Uh, Good band. That, They're uh, okay. <laughs> first band that I'm not embarrassed of. Um, <laughs> did a lot of touring with a band called These Arms Are Snakes. Mm-hmm. And have done some touring with some other projects, but those are probably the ones that are the most known. So Yeah. yeah. A little bit of Roy, too, right? A little bit of Roy. Yeah. Um, done done some touring with a project called Mammifer. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Right about that one, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I do a lot of touring. How long has it been? I've been touring? Yeah. Depending on what defines a tour, we started doing like out-of-town shows and stuff with Botch back in 95. Okay. You know, doing like weekends mm-hmm. in British yeah. Columbia and stuff. And then did our first like West Coast week-long thing uh-huh. in uh, 96 with Trial, the Seattle oh, yeah. God, straight course. edge hardcore band. <laughs> yeah. We all remember those days. Yeah. The so. three of us, I mean. Yeah. Perhaps yeah. not someone listening. That was slightly before my time. I was mostly like skater shithead into punk rock at that point. And it was I think maybe like a year or two later that I started like noticing hardcore bands. Late yeah. mid nineties yeah. for you. Yeah. Bo- botch and trial were like like the two ones where I was like, oh, this doesn't suck. This is pretty cool because <laughs> you guys would do a lot of shows with punk bands and you know yeah. stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's not bad. Yeah, I feel like we both kind of came out at a time when there wasn't a lot of Seattle hardcore happening. It was like yeah. there was Undertow yeah. and then kind of kind of died they, off and yeah, Undertow yeah. broke up and was like, oh, I guess we have to like start new bands or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it started in '95, still touring a lot now. Yeah. Now it is, it's Our my, math. I guess my full-time job for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I would say I would, you probably have a career in t- 
touring. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that is. Do you my, support yourself for the most part? It is. It is my Dude. sole. Well, it's not my sole source of income because I do some some writing. Yeah. But my writing really doesn't pay for much of anything. It's like I pay the mortgage with touring and things like that. That well, that's pretty dream. dang successful. Yeah. Good for yeah. you, man. That was the dream, man. <laughs> yeah. When, when we were doing it, I was like, man, if I could just make rent on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Oh, yeah. That happened to me once. Yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. Came yeah. back and the band paid rent. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that, that was always the goal. Was like, <laughs> you know, like those first tours, I was living in Tacoma in a house with a bunch of other people. And it's like, man, if I can just come home with like 200 bucks to pay my rent, I can get by for a month on that. And then, you know. Yeah. Go back to work and get a paycheck and then keep it going. But yeah, yeah. job hopping between tours. Yeah, but you know you don't you don't always make two hundred bucks on tour. Sometimes yeah, you, you come home massively in debt. And you yeah, just, <laughs> it's the roll of the dice. <laughs> yep. <It's> so true. <laughs> Especially when you're just kind of getting into it and it's your first few tours. Even to expect to come back with money is a little silly. Yeah. Obviously. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think I was really lucky because I kind of went into all this with no real aspirations. You know, I hear other people, other musicians talk about music and they're like, Oh yeah. You know, I just wanted to be like the Rolling Stones or something. Mm. Oof. Yeah. That's a no, no. (laughs) First of all, I like, I love the Rolling Stones now, but I fucking hated the Rolling Stones as a teenager. Yeah. Cause I grew up with like MTV Rolling Stones. Uh You didn't even know they were good at one point. Yeah. I was like, this is fucking awful. Like all my heroes were like, it was like undertow. It was like, well, if I could, be like undertow like that would be like yeah. the coolest thing yeah. ever and like have people like know your songs and like have a record out like maybe tour once like that'd be crazy yeah so i set the bar real low and then everything else was just icing there you the go so, under promise over deliver yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> set the bar low folks and that's that's the secret uh maybe not financial success but at least yeah, not feeling like a total waste of a human I totally guess. It is always kind of weird, though, when especially when you're younger and you're in the punk scene and you come upon someone who's seemingly actively trying to become a rock star. Oh, yeah, it's awful. You, it's like it's <laughs> oh, like the worst. It's, it's still you, offensive to me well, when I, I see yeah, those people I know, now. Like, it's like you either are or you aren't and it'll happen. But the actively seeking thing is just so unpunk. It's hardcore for me to even think about. Yeah, and I still have like hangups where I have like a severe distrust of any musician my age that doesn't have like a punk background in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like yeah, if yeah, you I skipped mean, that step and you just went straight to like, I want to be like my bloody Valentine or something. It's like, yeah. nah, nah, like I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't trust it. Like, yeah. They didn't, they didn't like get to the mountaintop on an elevator. Right. Yeah. It was like, it was fucking a hard, hard climb up yeah. the hill. You got to love playing like the grimy basement shows and you got to love yeah. like, hand assembling your own demo or your first seven inch. Totally. Like you have to, you have to love the whole process. You can't just be like, Oh, I'll really like this when I'm playing to like a thousand plus people. Yeah, exactly. People get mad at you. I've learned that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah so your first tour is with botch. Yes. Yeah. And it's like 95, 96, you said. Yeah. So, I mean, I think how old were you? I was 18. So yeah. We would do a thing where we would go up to Canada and we'd play like Vancouver and Victoria. And we did it at a point when there were still people in high school in the band. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if I was in high school or not. Uh-huh. I think I'm, I might have graduated at that point, but two of the guys in the band were a year younger. And I remember the first time we went up to Canada, our singer's dad went with us. 
Nice. Well, like, probably needed to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah like, I don't even know how we crossed the border at that point, but yeah. that was like pre 9 11 and all that. So it wasn't quite as tough. But yeah, I just remember like we were playing like a house show, some punk house, and one of our dads was there hanging out. And, <laughs> That's like, awesome. Nodding his head in the in the back. and That's a good dad. Yeah, no, it was, it was super awesome. We did a couple of those. And then one of our weird first sort of, I hesitate to say it was touring, but uh, I grew up in Hawaii and then. My parents were military, so they were stationed there for 10 years. Then I moved to Washington for the last three years of high school. And then my parents got reassigned back in Hawaii, mm-hmm. basically right after I graduated high school. I still had a bunch of friends in the punk scene there. So they were like, well, if we help pay for plane tickets, why doesn't Botch come out? And play, Whoa, that would be so cool. Yeah, play play some shows in Honolulu. Dude, that's awesome. So we were all like, yeah, let's do it. We hadn't even been to California at that point. So we did that, and we played three shows in, in Hawaii. I don't even think our first seven inch was out yet. That was, you know, a pretty awesome experience. I bet. When Botch started, I mean, Botch was really good all the time. Not when necessarily. You, when, yeah, so yeah, yeah, this is where we're going. <laughs> when, <okay>. you guys, <laughs> when you guys ended, you were definitely like doing some pretty legendary shit. And it was a way different band than it was when you guys started. Yeah. I mean, like I was going to a ton of shows at the time. So I was lucky enough to sort of like see you guys grow and i remember it was sometime between american nervoso and we are the romans where like it's like holy shit these guys might take over the world maybe um (laughs) (laughs) did you guys see that when you were on tour on the road playing shows like was there a measurable difference at some point where you're like holy fuck these shows are getting way better than they ever were or like feeling some more enthusiasm for people uh not really honestly (laughs) it was awesome (laughs) yeah i mean Touring with Botch was kind of tough just because, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you'd go on tour for like a month or something mm-hmm. and you'd come home and you'd be like, okay, there was like five really good shows there. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And the rest, like, eh, <laughs> you, you, you got through them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was always like, you know, there'd always be a good show in Southern California. You know, there'd usually be a good show in like New Jersey. Yeah. You know? Was that consistent all through the band's career? Yeah, I'd say so. Really? Because you, didn't you guys tour with like Dillinger Escape Plan and stuff? Like, I guess just from my point of view, I don't see why that show wouldn't be packed in every city across the U.S. Yeah, well, I mean, by the end, you know, we put out We Are the Romans in 99, and we did a U.S. tour on that. And, you know, there are people that were excited. Mm-hmm. There was definitely, like, fans that were coming out. And, yeah. You know, like, you would sell merch before you play, which was always, like, right. crazy. Like, barometer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Whoa, like, yeah. You haven't heard it yet. They're walking straight <laughs> up to you and they're yeah. buying that botch t-shirt because yeah. they already know that you're good. You know, that was exciting. And there was definitely, at that point, there were better shows once that album had come out. But like, you know, you'd still play dumps. You know? <laughs> it's still just like, just because it's a major city doesn't mean it's going to be a good show. Totally. Yeah, you know? sure. It's like, you know, had a couple of like safe spots where you knew we'd always play this place in New Brunswick called the Melody Bar. And it's like, uh-huh. We knew the show at Melody Bar was going to be good. Sure. Yeah. Or you knew the show at Chain Reaction in Anaheim was going to be good. Right. But, you know, like Portland, you know, even Portland, it was like, oh, I could go either way. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, like, wow, you know, man. It's like, it's so humbling to know that you guys were mortals, not yeah, no, no, <laughs> just like, like the rest of us. Yeah. I mean, at that, at that point, 99, you know, I was pretty convinced that Botch was the best band around. You know, yeah, I mean, it was okay. just one of those moments where it was like, yep, best band in town. And what was it like touring in the early hardcore days when it was still not the thing it was now? Where like, Hardcore begat metalcore, which begat whatever, which begat whatever, uh, yeah. right? I think one of the main differences that I see now compared to back then is now when you tour, you kind of know the city that you're playing. 
mm-hmm. it's always like, yeah, you play Los Angeles. Of course you play Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like back then, it was like, we never played Los Angeles. No. Huh. In like the mid 90s, I guess. It was, yeah. like, it was Al's Bar back then. It was in LA. That's the only place we had ever played. Yeah, so we never even played there. City. We'd play like Coos Cafe in Long Beach yeah, or like totally. we'd play Chain Reaction in Anaheim or we'd play. The Smell? Did you guys do The Smell? Snakes would play The Smell. Okay. Yeah. I think maybe that was kind of like towards the end of the botch run that that place started. Yeah. We always would play like the Goleta Santa Barbara yeah. scene because it yeah. had ebullition and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were kind of in with that scene a little bit. You guys hung out with Steve Aoki? We played Steve Aoki's <laughs> living room many times. Yeah. Awesome. It's so strange seeing. It's so weird. Like, someone tell me about this and why have I not? I'm admitting that I'm ignorant. Okay, do you know the very, very popular DJ, Steve Aoki? Yeah. Okay, yes. I mean, sure. Did he run Ebullition or was he just involved with it? Uh, He ran a label called Dim Mock. That's right. It was Dim Mock. Yeah. And so they put out a record that I played on from a band called On Alaska that was like minus the pair guys and me playing Mm -hmm. like singer songwriter stuff but he also did like early planes mistaken for stars stuff yeah jr ewing akimbo like played with his band i think they were called like this machine this kills. machine kills yeah, yeah we played with them at okay all, Cafe. all these are names and stuff that i've heard of but for some reason I yeah didn't know. and he ran a venue called the pickle patch and by venue i mean it was his living room yeah an apartment that like <laughs> that actually our roadie mike mowry lived in as well so like huh. mike and steve are roommates uh-huh. in this like little tiny apartment and I love Vista. Yeah. I would just have shows. So like it'd be Voice That's Fire and Botch in like this person's living room or, you know, Kent McClard from Heart Attack would be uh-huh. outside. And it was just like a whole weird little community where the hardcore scene wasn't really in LA. It was mm-hmm. like sure. I love Vista or in, in Anaheim with the whole Revelation Records and Indecision Records and all oh, that yeah. stuff being Revelation. situated in Huntington oh. Beach. So yeah. And it was the same thing. It's like we never played Manhattan. We'd always play Long Island. Sure. Play mm-hmm. New Jersey or play Denton, not Dallas. Yeah. You know, so it's, yeah. It's, it's like you were always playing like in the suburbs or on the periphery of the city because that's where like the kids were. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where the hardcore scene was. And you'd have these little communities that would pop up just based on wherever shit was happening. So mm-hmm. you'd play like Roseburg, Oregon, you know, and have yeah. great shows in Roseburg, Oregon, and then go to, up to Portland and Portland would suck. And it was, <laughs> like, we didn't understand it. Yeah. And now it's, like, I don't know if it's a matter of, it might be like the demographic where it's like our fan base is older. Yeah, I think it's probably skewed a little bit. Yeah. But I also think there's like a pattern of people repopulating cities and like sure. yeah. know, people that want culture are like flocking to city interiors. Mm-hmm. Whereas you looked at like Denver 10 years ago, the downtown was like vacant after 5 p.m. Yeah. Now yeah. people are moving back in. So I'm going to put on my cynical old man hat <laughs> and, and think that maybe some of this has to do with the prevalence of the internet not being a thing, right? Like, Could be. Yeah. Again, this is like thousand mile view from a old man's point of view, but like he's like, the old man all of a sudden. Yeah. I know. Well, still, <laughs> I count. <laughs> Those were kids in communities looking for shit to do, right? Yeah. And like they're finding punk rock magazines and stuff, and they're gravitating to a thing, and they're just like, "Oh, this scene is all about doing it yourself, so we can do it ourselves. Let's like make our own scene happen. Let's start our own bands," and they sort of get that going all before you could just like fire up Fortnite and play video games all day. Yeah, yeah. which I love. Oh, games, that's dark. But... I see where you're going with this. Yeah. So like right? what you're saying is, is that you think maybe suburbs have kind of died down because of that prevalence. I think kids have different shit to do now. Yeah. Right? Like they don't have to find their own fun. Yeah. The fun's like there. It's just at their fingertips. You uh-huh. just got to go on the internet. Right. I do uh-huh. think there's something to be said for, especially the bands that you're in, Brian, like 
people grew up watching botch then they're over 21 and now they're you know they're seeing these arms and snakes yeah and you know and yeah and they're getting jobs in the city and you know or whatever and you grow out of your parents house and i mean i did move to the city you know Mm -hmm. it's just a thing you do eventually you know you don't always have to stay there but it's a thing that happens and yeah i think um there's clubs that are here now clubs exist Uh, yeah i guess that's another thing right seattle it used to be like i didn't get to see neurosis until me neither through Silver and Blood because they wouldn't play an all ages show. They played, yeah. so, they played, yeah. they played in Redmond, and I missed my ride out there. Well, I saw that one for that one. <laughs> I was at and that so one. then I saw him. I saw him at Deviate the next time they came around. Yeah, I was not at the Deviate one, but I was at the Old Firehouse one, and it was awesome. Of course, it was, and it was awesome because they blew the power at one point, and I've never seen a band that livid on stage. <laughs> oh no! I was like, oh, this is like, this is scary. Like, this uh-huh. was already like really scary music by really scary dudes, <laughs> but now that something has gone wrong, they're going to take it out on someone. Yeah. And it was, it was intense. Oh, and it's just the poor old firehouse. I know, the firehouse. Yeah, yeah. It's like kids. literally a 17-year-old running I know. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Sergeant. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Just totally panicked, yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. When it was like that, it was also that era where they still had all the like, the homemade projections, so uh-huh. it was just, you know, this footage of like Bud Dwyer like blowing yeah. his brains out on like this endless loop yeah. to all these like teenagers. Yeah, it's, it's hardcore. I still to this day cannot believe that they played in Redmond and not in Seattle. I was in college at the time at the Art Institute. All my friends showed up brand new Neurosis t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was also the era, you know, playing small towns and small cities. Like the Honolulu show that we played, that was like a big show for mm-hmm. us. Like it was like a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not good at like estimating crowd numbers, but I, w- I would say there's maybe like 200 people there, which for us at the time was oh, like yeah. a badass, super people. huge deal. Yeah, like, when you're 20 years old, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, couldn't believe it. And then, so we did like a club show, then we did a house show, and then a friend of ours was like, I can set up another show because there's like this kind of like goth bondage bar in a warehouse. Neat. Mm-hmm. On the outskirts of town. Mm-hmm. And like hot, sweaty leather in Honolulu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the <laughs> yeah, listeners exactly. can't see this, but I'm nodding very enthusiastically. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was like on the outskirts of the town, like in the industrial area. It's like a members-only thing, but they were only open on the weekends. And, you know, if we were wanted to play on a weekday that, you know, our friend could probably call the owner and negotiate something because they had a PA and all that Sweet. stuff. Yeah, let's do it. So he contacts the owner of the goth bondage bar and the guy's like, what night? Yeah, sure. It's fine. So we're stoked. Flyers were made, and the flyer had a picture of a young girl in a hula skirt. Uh, I don't know if I like where this is going. Someone, whoever did the flyer, put like little horns and like fangs on her. Okay. So, not too bad. Not too bad. All right. Nothing, nothing like maybe offensive if it was like your daughter, but like, whatever. (laughs) Um, Day of the show comes around. We go to the, the bondage bar and. You know, we get there first. No one's there. The other bands show up. You know, our friend that booked the show is there. And he's like trying to call the guy being like, can you come open the door so we can go set up for the show? Can't get a hold of the guy. Quick question. Yeah. Does this place usually do underground shows or is this like a special thing? My understanding was that they had had shows there. Okay. But it wasn't like a typical show space. Right. Sure. Okay. So yeah, like we can't get a hold of the guy. Whenever you try to call him, you have to go find a payphone. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> Remember those? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of dealing with that thing. And then people start showing up for the show. And it's like another thing where there's like kind of a lot of people. And it's like, well, this is going to be like a really awesome show if like the club owner ever comes and like opens up the door so we can go yeah. in. <laughs> and it like 
you know, reaches like the advertised door time and more people are showing up and we're like, okay, this guy's probably not going to show up. So what do we do? You know, there's all these people here now to see it. We have all of our gear. Again, it's like this warehouse space and there's kind of a lot to the side where there's a bunch of like scrap stuff. Uh-huh. It's like a junkyard or something. And so we decide that we'll just play outside. We'll play in like the scrap yard. That's actually kind of yeah. killer. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like, yeah, and people are like pretty stoked on it. It's like, yeah. yeah, DIY, like we're fucking, mm-hmm. we're making it happen. Like, you know, there's outlets outside the warehouse. So it's like, Done. we can plug yeah. in, we use, we have a microphone, we have a microphone stand. We just won't mic anything, vocals. The only concern is the cops showing up, but we devise. Just play fast. Yeah, we just yeah, devised just this plan where it was like, there's four bands on the bill. So mm-hmm. we we're just going to set up one back line, one drum kit. Every band would play two songs and rotate and we would just keep I going. That, oh, that is beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah, we're just going to keep rotating until the cops showed up and shut it down. Everyone was pumped. So like first band plays, it's awesome. Second band plays, it's awesome. Third band plays, it's totally awesome. We're the fourth band, so we're getting ready to do our two songs. And like, there's no stage, it's just keeps. So I'm kind of like putting my bass on. And then I kind of hear a commotion. And as I look up, you can kind of see like the crowd parting, like the Red Sea. Uh-huh. And this big Hawaiian dude is like walking through the crowd. And he has a flyer in his hand. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> And walks up, grabs the microphone, and he's like, who made this flyer? <laughs> and it's like dead quiet. No one's like, one person in the back yells out Kinko's. And, like, there's like a couple of laughs. Ass. And the dude's like, not fucking funny. Who the fuck made this flyer? Uh-huh. And it's like crickets. And I'm like trying to back away. because I'm scared. He's like, this is my niece. She's been missing for two weeks. Oh, oh shit. Like apparently whoever made the flyer had just like, found something in the trash yeah. at Kinko's and like, like a missing it. person thing or yeah, something, yeah. but not oh knowing God. what it was. Oh no. And he's like, you disrespected my niece. We're going to come back. We're going to come back with the hooey uh-huh. and we're going to destroy this place. Oh no. And he like throws the mic down, smashes the microphone and like storms through the crowd. And everyone in the crowd like immediately starts. Yeah. Like, it seems like a good out. idea. Yeah. I grew up in Hawaii, but I was like, I don't know what the hooey is. No. Like, what's, what's the hooey? And everyone's like, that's like the hooey translate to the family. That's like the Hawaiian mafia. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Fuck, I guess we got to get out of here too. Like, yeah. We grab all our stuff and get out. And no one was hurt, but our friend who had coordinated the show, he doubled back at one point just to like see if they had followed through on the promise. And he said that someone had pried open the door to the warehouse. Oh, no. And they could just hear like stuff breaking inside. Oh, so, apparently the hooey did come back, but do you think the club owner found out about it and didn't want to let people in? I'm conjecturing. I, I don't know. I mean, that could be. And then he ended up getting fucked anyway at that point, right? Yeah. Because they're trashing his warehouse club or whatever. I'm yeah. assuming. Who did make the flyer? Do you know? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> no idea. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? I, I mean, know. if it was my niece. I would have done the same oh, shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, that guy had every right to be yeah. totally livid. Sure, I wouldn't, so... my, my niece is a total... <laughs> just a jerk. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love my nieces. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, that was kind of like maybe a good first lesson where it's like, oh, like you are very vulnerable when mm-hmm. you're on the road. You are mm-hmm. totally at the whims of fate. So, yeah. yeah you know, and tread you're... lightly, be nice to people. Absolutely. You know. And you're in strange places where like, Strange yeah. things can happen. With different customs, and it seems stupid to say, but if you're from here and you're in Phoenix, you might not necessarily know what the fuck someone's talking about. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. yeah. We talked about that a lot, actually, about how um, when you're in a band and you're on tour, you kind of become like this little gang and you feel badass. Yeah. You know, because you're like sort of protecting yourself and stuff. And then there are moments on tour where you realize, oh, we are not badass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We are actually quite vulnerable. I, I, I know I'm not a badass. <laughs> well, good for you. We were, where were we? It was Pittsburgh. And this was probably 2000. Show got out early enough that we went out to a bar. We were hanging out, just having some beers. We were on tour with this band Sunshine from the Czech Republic. And their driver that got hired was this guy, Jeff, who played in Carissa's Weird. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know if he went on to be in Band of Horses, too. But like all those Carissa's Weird people, like nice yeah. drinker, soft-spoken, mm-hmm. like, good guy. Um, so we're at this bar, and this group of people walk in. We're like, oh, I think that's the Get Up Kids. <laughs> yeah, I think that is. And this is like kind of when the Get Up Kids were... Mm-hmm. In their ascendancy. Yeah. Know, and they were kind of becoming a big deal. Dave Varellen went up, our singer went up and was just like, hey, are you the get up kids? And they were kind of like, yeah, <laughs> don't bother me. You know, like yeah. they, were, they were in town. They probably yeah. just wanted to get a beer and be left alone. But we had played with the get up kids back in the day. So it's like, oh, we're in Botch. And like, we're friends with Dan Askew, who put out a bunch of your records. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, like, so we hung out, had some beers. And as this was happening, our drummer, Tim, went outside to make a phone call on the payphone. Our roadie, John Pettibone, went out to make a phone call, too, I guess. And, uh, like, two minutes later, Tim comes running in. He's like, uh, some frat boy just, like, sucker punched me. And now I think they're about to beat up John. Oh, no. <laughs> and so, like, everyone at the table, including the get-up kids, like, get up and like, uh-huh. immediately run outside. And sure enough, there's, like, these three drunk frat boys, like, kind of, like, surrounding John. And John's, like, holding his ground. But, sure, as he would. Yeah, yeah I, like, I can't imagine him going, oh, please don't hit me, sir. Yeah, no, John's, John's ready for a scuffle. Yeah. But we, like, we get out, and James DeWeese, the keyboard player from Get Up Kids, is like, you know, he actually is like the voice of reason. He goes up, he's like, look, guys, there's more of us than there are of you. No one wants any trouble. You're drunk. Just leave. Like, keyboard no, players, am I yeah. right? Yeah. Just, <laughs> no, like, no one, this doesn't need to happen. Like, yeah. It's only going to go bad. And, you know, like, they kind of talk some shit, and James is like, just just go, just leave. You know, mm-hmm. it's totally fine. No one's mad. Just, just go. And so they're like, well, fine. Yeah, we'll fucking leave. Like, whatever. And they like go to leave. And as they're leaving, one of the dudes sucker punches James, mm-hmm. knocks him into a chain link fence. Oh, no. That knocked out one of James's teeth. Holy and then shit. it just like erupts into this brawl where everyone just like pounces on these frat boys, except for me. Because yeah. <laughs> when as someone we have already talked about. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm not a fighter. And when, People get mad or like try to pick a fight with me. I'm always like, oh, what did I do wrong? I'm yeah. Doing something. Like, <laughs> my my reflex is not like. I'll show you my belly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, please. I was like, I must. It, uh, you're obviously angry. I must have done something to offend you. Like, yeah. what did I do? Yeah. So I like kind of take a step back. Like, what? All these fists start flying. Like James is like, they knocked my tooth out. Like blood coming out of his jaw. Oh. Like I'm kind of like trying to console him, and then I hear someone yell out, "Someone help me with this guy!" And I look up, and it's. Robbie, the bass player of Get Up Kids, has like one of the frat boys in a lock. He just, mm-hmm. he just has him down here and he's like punching this guy. He's like, someone, someone get over here and help me pummel this dude. Yeah. And Robbie is like, I mean, first of all, he's in the Get Up Kids, but he's like, you know, like the bass player <laughs> yeah. and like uh-huh. spectacles and like a sweater. Uh, yeah. So. yeah. We're not talking a hardcore band. Yeah. No. Yeah, like, no. no, for the people who don't know the Get Up Kids, this is like Weezer beating up a, a jock. <laughs> yeah. <right>? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like Jeff from Chris is Weird, who again, for context, is just like, Maybe like five foot six and uh-huh. like 120 pounds. And like, yeah. You know, part of a sensitive songwriter ensemble. Mm-hmm. Right. He had been like hanging out with this like golf ball and just like, he had like golf ball on tour that he would just like kind of uh-huh. like walk around and bounce on the ground while he's hanging out. 
but now he was just using it as like a bludgeon. <laughs> oh my god, this dude! <laughs> and so violent. yeah, like basically, like we beat up these frat boys. <laughs> awesome. And while like one of their girlfriends was like yelling and begging for everyone to stop, mm-hmm. and I didn't beat up anyone. I was taking care of James. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that was like the one time I've ever been in the midst of like a brawl on that's tour. crazy but it was like one of those things where it's like the hooey story it's like well i guess that had a cause yeah like that sure was, yeah you know someone disrespected this guy's family member and like but this was like literally just like some random drunk people just decide to fuck with you and then good thing yeah, the get so, up kids were there yeah, i know <laughs> for real <laughs> what started the altercation you know N- nothing like literally just like drunk just walked dudes, by and like, punched came the and like i don't know if they like shoved or like punched tim huh. but like Tim was just like on the phone doing his thing and dudes just wanted to pick a fight with someone. Speaking of causing trouble, let's listen to a little These Arms Are Snakes before we get back into it. Why not? <laughs> I don't want to talk about grossest places just because I feel like it's then you're like talking about you're talking trash about someone's hospitality. It's true. You, you know? are. And at the same time, it was interesting to so often see the levels of filth that people can tolerate in their homes. This okay, is true. Sure. Yeah. Um, We've all been there. Yeah. I think that kind of helped mark the passage of time in my own life where you know, your first couple tours, you play punk houses, you, and mm-hmm. then you stay at the house, and you're like, this is so cool. Like, everyone that lives here yeah. is punk. Yeah. There's, like, so many cool records in the living room, and, like, they have shows here. Like, oh, you practice here? Like, this is so cool. It's like a dream, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And then, like, as you get a little older, it's just like, this place is kind of dirty. Yeah. You know? And then, like, <laughs> uh-huh. then you quickly reach a point where it's like, I don't like staying at people's houses on tour unless it's, like, a parent. Yeah, and they have a guest bedroom and yeah. a bathroom downstairs in the basement. And you don't have to talk to them all night long. Yeah, or it's like one of the weird fluke things where it's like some rich person mm-hmm. is able to put you up for whatever reason. And it's like, yeah, you, that's you, that's cool. You've got your own bedroom or something. Yeah. Like the doll collection room. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely slept in the doll collection room once on tour. <laughs> Dude, one time uh, when we were in New Orleans, we played two shows back to back and one was a library show. And so we played two shows back to back, and then we were like trying to find a place to stay, as you do. Mm-hmm. And these girls were like, hey, our roommate just moved out. You know, you can totally stay there. It's totally cool. And we're like, great. They're nice. They were at the show, so mm-hmm. they're cool. So we go to this place, and it's like one of those um, Southern Gothic, Ooh, like, nice. you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, Where yeah. it's like the ceilings are like how many, 10 feet high or whatever, and the hardwood floors, and like it's expansive, and the kitchen's huge. You know, and then they're like, and here's her room. And it's just an empty room with a hardwood floor. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And we're like, oh, God. And we had to get up and drive to Texas the next day, all the way to Austin. 
So we knew we had to be up at like eight or some bullshit, yeah. you know, and we're like, okay, we're just going to make the best of it. Right. And so, you know, we get out our pads and we lay it down and we're already kind of drunk. So we're kind of cool, you know, and we went and had dinner. So we're full and it's going to be fine. And then the girls are like, hey, so there's this party down the way, you know, like these college girls or whatever. And our drummer Brent's like, yeah, let's go. We talked about that on another part, but I, I like the idea, you know, the idea of them being like, yeah, you can stay in a room. And it's yeah. a huge, giant, empty room with hardwood floors. Nothing else. That's like when these arms of snakes were touring with Blood Brothers. We were in L.A. and they're like, "Oh, we can totally stay at Ross Robinson's house." So oh, like, they oh, have to do a Kimbo yeah. too. Oh, I want to hear your story, then I'll tell mine. Oh, this <laughs> story is amazing. My story is not great. Okay, like all it was was like we can stay at Ross Robinson's mansion in Venice Beach, and it was like. So real quick for the people who don't know who Ross Robinson is, he's the guy who ruined metal. Yeah, he's the guy that recorded Corn and Limp Biscuit and, and then Sepultura. But then who else? Well, he did Blood Brothers at the Drive-In, right? He did at the Drive-In. Yeah, he did a Cure record. <laughs> Man, that's weird. So he did some cool stuff. He did, I've heard he did the I've Red Fang record too. That really? He's a yeah. super nice, super cool guy, and I'm sorry that I'm dissing him, but I, there's a moment in time where I felt like he. Was All I know is that we were very excited to stay at Ross Robinson's like palatial Venice Beach house. Yep. And we got there. And it was, you know, one of those things where we had been out after the show and drinking. And so by the time we got there, it was just like, throw your stuff down, go to sleep. And so we just went into his basement. I didn't even look around. And then we woke up the next morning and realized, that I don't even think like the house was furnished. Like it was just like an <laughs> empty house. And like Steve, uh -huh. our singer, was just like curled up in like a packing blanket from U-Haul that had like, oh, no, like packing tape <laughs> all over it. <laughs> and it was like, oh, this was like staying at Ross. Like, I would have maybe just stayed at a friend's house. We might have had like a bed or a yeah. couch or cushions. But... Yeah. Or carpet. Yeah. We did a couple tours with the Blood Brothers. I think we probably paved the way for you guys to have a smooth entry into Ross Robinson's house. Yeah. So we play L.A. and we go to a party at somebody's apartment, some, some industry person I don't even know. Blood Brothers are like just starting to become connected to like the real music industry. Um, so we're at a party at someone's apartment and Ross Robinson is there. A bunch of industry people are there. We did not have a place to stay and we were not welcome at this party. <laughs> um, yeah. But like... Mark Gadgetar, who's the drummer of the Blood Brothers and mm -hmm. maybe one of the most friendliest people in the world. Yeah, great he's dude. just like constantly smiling, always smiling, always yeah. happy. Great guy. Yeah. He's like, oh, you guys come with us. Stay with Ross. You come with us and stay with Ross. It'll be fine. No problems. And we're like, are, are you sure? I don't know, man. We don't know Ross. It's fucking Ross Robinson. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he's just like reassuring us all night. And it's like multiple times we're touching back with Mark. Like, Mark, don't fuck with me. If I need to find a place to stay, you need to let me know. Yeah. Because yeah. we're running out of time. I mean, he's just like totally reassuring. And then like Morgan gets in on it, the bass player. Morgan's like, like, no, 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 it'll be fine. We'll go. We'll, we'll go talk to Ross. And so I have a vivid memory of Burke and I standing in this apartment, this raging apartment, going into the kitchen, watching Morgan and Mark pull Ross aside. And it was so loud we couldn't hear the conversation. But they're basically saying like, hey, the band that we're on tour with, Akimbo's here. They need a place to stay. And I can still remember the look on Ross's face. <laughs> like the... Like he was having fun and smiling, and then he just goes deadpan. <laughs> it's just like, it's oh fuck! And they t they talk for a bit, and then Mark comes back. He's like, "It's fine, guys. Yeah, just follow us." And, but like knowing that we are not welcome, yeah. right? like, like we are bumming out Ross Robinson. He does not want extra dudes at his for you. house. That's always the worst. Yeah, and so we go there, and his house is, as you said, palatial, beautiful house on Venice Beach, like on the beach. We park. We go inside. And he stops everyone in the lobby or the foyer, the foyer. of his house. Mm -hmm. And he's like, <laughs> he, 
He's like, yeah, yeah. So um, he's talking to the Blood Brothers. He's like, yeah, you know, his couch is over there. There's a couple rooms over here. And then he doesn't even look at us. He sort of like motions to us. He's like, um, there's also space downstairs. You guys can stay okay. downstairs. Yeah, that's where we stay. Yeah, yeah. So he's got like a sub apartment below his house, which is now his recording studio. So mm-hmm. he now records out of his house there on the beach. That's but, what I would do. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would do. Yeah, I felt very invasive. And we're like we actually like we got up pretty early the next day to just get the fuck out and be like, oh man, that felt really bad. I did not want to be bumming this guy out. Yeah. I don't miss the days of sleeping on people's floors. I still do it occasionally, but it's always gotta be like someone you know and trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like had too many yeah. well intentioned people where it's just like, man, I don't think you understand that I'd rather sleep in a van than yeah. in this room. I think we've talked about this on other episodes, but we're lucky here in the Northwest where there's not a ton of bugs. Yeah. But yeah. like there's places all over America where there's Southwest, fucking the South in cockroaches <laughs> and spiders and scorpions like yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Like I don't want to sleep on a floor in, you know, Alabama. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to do that. I've been on tour where you're staying at someone's house and like I'm on a couch and I wake up to like take a piss in the middle of the night. And as you get up and like put your feet on the ground, you just see the bugs like uh, yeah. cockroaches scatter under the couch. Seen right? Slugs in people's bathrooms. Dude, I know. It's just like, how do you have a slug? <laughs> Yeah. Like I'm staying yeah. in- What is the ecosystem situation yeah. Yeah. here where a slug is healthy in your bathroom? Yeah, the places where people are like, oh, the plumbing doesn't work. Places where people are like, this, welcome to my house. You know, the power got shut off yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like all kinds of stuff. We're just like, how? Again, like you reach a point where like my house is nicer than your house. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> totally. As a kid, like, I thought this was exciting. Yeah. Now yeah. it's just like, no, now I'm just like sad. Yeah. My spouse can testify too. I am such a baby now when it comes to like <laughs> sleeping <laughs> arrangements that aren't in a bed like when we go camping i'm like i'm getting the best fucking air mattress i can find yeah. i've had a lifetime of sleeping on floors Dude, I, I need ever two pillows do it again period yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm not going nowhere without yeah. i need two pillows not one two that's it <laughs> i'm not sleeping if i don't have two the first like botch european tour it was like a seven week tour you know we hadn't been to europe so it was like how does it work when you go to europe where do you sleep Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you sleep at the club. There'll be like a band apartment. Yeah. Do we need like sleeping bags or how does this work? And our tour manager's like, you'll buy a sleeping bag the first day you're in Europe. The driver will take you to an army surplus store and you will buy a sleeping bag. So everyone will have a sleeping bag. Uh-huh. All right. So that's what we did. So we all went to an army surplus store. Everyone bought a sleeping bag. And, you know, we get to the first venue and it's like, don't think there was any bedding to be had anyway. It was just like sleeping in like an apartment without beds mm-hmm. but everyone's unrolling their sleeping bags and they're all of these like sort of like military grade yeah outdoor sleeping bags mm-hmm. except when i unfurl mine it's actually a coat it's a coat but it, it the bottom of it is a sleeping bag that like zips on so i have like this like puffy coat that i can wear and then i can zip the like solo leg onto the bottom of it and that was my sleeping bag. It was like, for the whole tour? Yeah, for seven weeks I had a coat. Was it cozy? No, it wasn't. It was actually, it did very little to keep you warm. For as fluffy as it was, and for being military grade. So it did was, you like go to a different aisle than the other guys? Like, yeah, how it was that? all like in a bin. It was like a uh, okay. really sad surplus store. Gotcha. It looked just like everyone else's, but mine mine was a coat. <laughs> that's, that's what I slept on. So funny. That is... Not how I thought this story was going to go. It's so funny, like the going to Europe and going on tour where it's like, yeah, where do you sleep? You sleep at the club. The club provides a place for the bands to sleep. When you're still in America and you haven't gone there yet, yeah, 
that sounds like the most humanitarian, wonderful fucking rainbow sparkle <laughs> it sparkle does. train. It does. It's very social. It's just like, oh wow, what a nice thing to do. What a nice way to treat a band that's coming there. And then you go and you fucking see these places that they have the band stay and oh my god. Like some of them are really nice. Some of them are really nice. But not yeah. not all of them, yeah. for sure. Some of them are really sad. There's a club where there's like a really serious stigma for bands that have to stay there. Even though they totally it's like a one of those big punk rock squats that has like a proper stage with a proper PA. Okay. It's well known. They have like festivals there and then like a really big upstairs with a whole bunch of bunk beds for bands to stay in. But they had a festival once where a woman died upstairs uh. in one of the beds because she OD'd on drugs or something. Oof. And so now like if you're in the know, you're not supposed to sleep there because apparently her ghost is still around. That's or something a lot like of that. shit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I believe I'd it. I'd stay there. We did. We slept there. Yeah, sure. yeah. No one was haunted. Have either of you ever stayed at Matt Shapiro's place when he had? No. Okay, so you know Matt Shapiro. Who's Matt Shapiro? I, yeah, I feel like he I know the name, but owns I... the Elbow Room, and for a long time he was roommates with a lot of the same people that I'm friends with in the Bay Area. Okay. Uh, one of them being Scott Alcoholicost, who puts on a shit ton of shows and was like a big friend of Bloodhags. They lived in this uh, great three bedroom rent-controlled apartment in this rent-controlled building, but the people that owned the building were trying to get everyone to go out of the rent control and leave. So as far as I could tell, they were one of a very few occupied places in this pretty big yeah. uh, room, and it was pretty pretty close to the hate. What they had done is they had an easy way to get up to the attic of the building it was right above, you know, right outside in the hallway and just pop right up. It was like a st- little staircase. And then it was mattress futon, mattress futon, mattress futon. You could sleep <laughs> like, I want to say like 20 people up there. Like it seemed yeah. huge. Huh. And it was so rad because it was like, no, no, trust me. You know, and like, I just a futon. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know how clean it was, but it seemed all right. You know, but it was and in that, an attic. Yeah. Above their place because they were like on maybe on the third or fourth floor. Or whatever. Was there light in there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was like a semi-finished attic. Okay. You know, it wasn't all like spidery and gross, but it was definitely, you know, the attic of the place. And it was pretty awesome for a band because you could legit stay there. It wasn't uncomfortable. Yeah, that's nice. You know what's shocking to me is that like I've slept in so many places like that, right? You know, where it's like, yeah, sleep on my like futon mattress or whatever, Uh like, you know, like punk accommodations and never had any issues. But last year... I was on tour and stayed in hotels, I think almost every single night, but it was like August and it was hot. And so I was wearing like these short shorts and I got body lice somewhere on tour, like on the back of my, I have hairy legs, Yeah, but it like started like on the back of my legs. Like I sleep in somewhere. Like probably just sat somewhere like on a backstage couch or something. Yeah. And then it like, just like went, I'm a hairy dude. So it just like went rampant all over my body. And it was like, you guys have both had body lice on tour? No, I've never had body oh. lice, but I'm a hairy dude, so it would, oh. it would happen oh. instantly. <laughs> it was, yeah. It They'd was. Clomb onto me How did so you fast. handle that? Well, I didn't know what the deal was on tour, and like I just thought like maybe I had like jock itch or something because it was like between my legs, but it was like below the crotch. Yeah. And I was like, well, maybe uh, it's like hot. It's summer. It's mm-hmm. like maybe I got sweaty down there somehow. I couldn't like see anything that looked weird, but. It, itched and the tour had been routed through seattle so i had gone home oh no and you know like at some point when i was back out on tour for the remainder of the tour like my husband's like 
I don't know what's going wrong. But I just like itch all the time. And oh no. Like, I itch too. Like this is weird. Like maybe it's like our detergent. I don't know. Yeah. It was weird. It never got into like actual crotch zones. Yeah, so, scratch cricket territory. Yeah. It was never, yeah, it was never like dodgy, but yeah, man, it was, it took a lot of delousing. I had to do like four rounds of delousing. Yeah. That would suck dude. Like, like be sleeping at someone else's house. Like, Can I use your bathtub and just, rub poison on my body i didn't didn't even know what it was until i i'd been home for a few days and then my husband and i were like talking about it's like yeah it's like weird i can't figure out why i just like itch all the time and then eventually he calls me into the bathroom with like a pair of tweezers and he has like this little thing that's like like waving at us Uh it's like oh fuck okay so you talked about um yeah being on tour with these arms of snakes i heard a story about ryan smashing a pint glass in someone's face Oh yeah, that that definitely happened. Okay. Yeah, that was that, that wasn't on tour. I was actually on tour with. Oh Roy. really? Yeah, I was on tour with Roy in Ann Arbor when this happened, mm-hmm. and I remember this because guy who we stayed with was just like, "Come over to my house. I have a trampoline and a Jägermeister machine." Hell yeah! And we were just like, "This <laughs> win win sounds awesome." <laughs> he had like boxing gloves. And I just remember it was like, like you do a shot of Jaeger and then he would jump off his balcony and he'd like box with other people on the trampoline and like <laughs> turn into like naked boxing. And like at some point, better and better. Yeah, at some point I got launched off the trampoline, like landed headfirst in the bush, like <laughs> should have been paralyzed, but like the bush broke my fall. And it was like yeah. this amazing night. And I called Steve the next day just being like, oh, you're not going to believe like the night I had. He's like, oh yeah, you won't believe my night either. Oh no. <laughs> some dude like, tried to pick a fight with me and Ryan at Honey Hole and fucking Ryan bashed a pint glass over his head. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, my night was way cooler than yours. <laughs> but yeah, that's about, yeah, some guy okay. was, was like harassing some of the women that are female friends that they were hanging out with and Steve kind of tried to intervene was like, hey man, just like, just go. And I think the guy might have even thrown a punch at Steve and mm-hmm. Ryan just reflexively like grabbed a pint glass and broke it over his head and didn't he fuck up his hand too? He fucked up his yeah, hand. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, that's a lot of glass. That's funny. I was, I thought that was a tour story. No, that was just in right Seattle, Seattle. At, at Honey Hole. Another night at the Honey Hole. Yeah, yeah. Feel <laughs> we free all to know that's that one. not I'm true. Not, yeah, yeah that, that, I don't think anyone's like too ashamed of that one. <laughs> right. but there's plenty of other like incriminating stories with that band that, yeah, will have to be tread lightly with some sure. of those. I'm not super close with the band, but I I know everyone somewhat well. And it yeah. seems like, from my my vantage point, it seems like a very potent mix of personalities that yes. are just down to fucking party and go crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, there's not a lot of personal stage. restraint. Yeah, good point. Like, when the band played, it was very explosive, right? Yeah, and, and it was sometimes too drunk to, to perform well. Yeah, oftentimes, I've seen that. Yeah, oftentimes yep. too drunk yep. to perform well. <laughs> At one point, you know, we had like a series of different drummers, and our last drummer was... This guy, Chris Common. And uh, Chris kind of like hopped around from a few different cities. I think he was originally from like Dayton. He lived in Nashville for a while. Um, and he wound up in Seattle and, you know, joined our band. And one of the first tours we did with him as our drummer, we were also touring with this band called Mouth of the Architect. Oh, yeah. We, mm-hmm. They were friends of his from Dayton. It's a good band. Like we were talking to them about Dayton because this will tie into. A bunch of themes. Sure. <laughs> Actually, this is this will this will this is like a good cohesive story for okay. what we're talking about. Um, we'll start with like bad places to stay on tour. Uh huh. 
But back in the botch days, we were touring with Nine Iron Spitfire. We played Dayton, Ohio, and we'd gotten into town the night before. The promoter was like, you can come stay at our house. We got to the promoter's house at like, you know, like midnight. House is dark. We ring the doorbell. He comes out. It's like, oh, yeah, come on in. And it's like one of those places where it's like, power got shut off. Sorry. <laughs> okay, it's one of these places. <laughs> So it's like you we're sleep all, on my laundry pile. Over yeah, there. yeah, yeah. We're all like trying to like navigate this house in the dark, and like, like I remember someone in the tour posse calling me over, and like, "Hey, you have to see this thing I found in the bedroom," and it was a baseball bat mm-hmm. that had in Sharpie someone had written "X Rehab X" on, oh. on the baseball bat. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay." And this was like the '90s, and Dayton in the '90s had this reputation for uh, having like a really hard hardcore scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this gang tough the the courage crew that mm-hmm. were like notorious like yeah take a minute to explain that for the people who don't know what that is the courage crew yeah or and i mean like we know hard, hardline but... straight edge that whole because we're talking right? hardcore with a capital h yeah, yeah like they were like hardcore hardcore yeah kids, where it was just like you know it was like dudes that like if they hadn't found hardcore would have probably wound up in gangs but they found hardcore instead so yeah they were just really into judge and mm-hmm. youth of today and like Mm-hmm. beating the shit out of people that... knocking drinks out of people's hands and... it was like yeah. the same mentality as like the shitty football jocks who beat people up but instead they were gravi- gravitating towards a small music scene that was yeah. all about like no you don't do drugs and you don't fuck yeah you don't you don't do all these things so they were just like the angrier do. than they would have yeah been. super yeah. aggro yeah. and if you do that extreme. i will kick your ass yeah yeah, yeah. and this the promoter guy was like nice he was a nice guy but then, you know, like while he's showing us around, he's like, yeah, you know, sorry, like power got shut off. I was like in jail, like I'm on parole. You know, it's like times are tough. <laughs> like, okay. And then we played the show the next day and the show was uh, in the basement of a church. The tour was like us and Nine Iron Spitfire and this band from Philly called Ink and Dagger. Oh, yeah. Ink and Dagger. Sure. Yeah. This little yeah. band from Philly called yeah, Ink and Dagger. You know. <laughs> and we, can, we can talk for two hours about Ink and Dagger uh-huh. too, if you want to do that. That's certainly ripe for storytelling. Awesome. But uh, there was also like a local band on the bill, and the local band was like exactly what we ended, had anticipated, where it was just like hardcore dudes, like sing-alongs, just like, mm-hmm. you know, even for like that genre of like traditional hardcore, it was not good. <laughs> um, but, you know, like we were watching it, and it was like, okay, well, this is not our scene, but it's a show, and we'll do what we can to make it worth our while. And, you know, there's like a bunch of people there, like beating the shit out of each other while this <laughs> hardcore band plays. Uh-huh. It's like, and maybe it'll be good. Floor pudging, picking up change, yeah, kicking like the shit out of each other punching. for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they like our band. Throwing they, elbows. They probably won't, but like whatever. Yeah. yeah. But they finish playing and then like everyone goes outside to do whatever during the changeover and then Nine Iron starts playing and just no one comes back in. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Like, Better off at that point. Probably. It's like the Damien Johnston curse. Yeah. <laughs> so it's literally just like Botch and Ink and Dagger watching Nine Iron play uh, and like you can kind of like look out the basement windows and see like people's feet. Like there's other people. Like, sure. There's still plenty of people at the show. They're just not watching the bands. And so at some point like the Nine Iron set just kind of like devolves into them like doing covers or like you know like <laughs> just I don't even remember not even doing anything like offensive. They were just like, yeah, like why try? Like mm-hmm. there's no one in this room that yeah. cares. But apparently, like someone outside had kind of like peeked in the window and saw Nine Iron Spitfire, like obviously not giving a shit, mm-hmm. just kind of like 
having fun with the situation and kind of like mocking the situation yeah. in whatever capacity it was. And I don't remember what it was. I don't know if it was like them like making weird quasi hardcore moves on stage or <laughs> yeah. what, what it was. But like whatever they did, it like infuriated the people outside. So all of a sudden, to be like, fair and not hard to infuriate. Yeah. 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 Like it's, yeah. It's again, it's like almost like people that are like waiting for a fight. Yeah. So like they all kind of rush in, like everyone from outside rushes in and they're like, why are you disrespecting our city? Blah, 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 blah. And we're just like, what? <laughs> like, okay. And like the promoters, like obviously friends with all these people and like, we've been hanging out with them all day. So he's kind of like trying to play both sides. Just like, yeah, man, like what were you guys doing? We're like, we're not doing anything. We're playing mm -hmm. a show to nobody. It's like, okay. Why are you guys mad? It's like they're disrespecting us. And he's like, okay, that yeah, that's definitely not cool. I don't know, I'm out. So he like leaves. <laughs> and he's like, all right. And then like the circle of like thugs kind of like tightens in around us. And it's like, oh, this is it's more of them than us. This is gonna be bad. And there was like this one dude in particular, this one little dude that like oh, got up at our guy. faces and was like, fuck you guys, blah blah blah. Like disrespecting me or disrespecting a scene, like you're disrespecting my band who played before you guys. And it was like the drummer in the opening band. We're yeah. Like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Like, <laughs> and like, it was getting real tense. And finally, like someone from the church came downstairs and was just like, what's all this noise? We're hearing all this like profanity and like, this is a community space. If you guys can't respect the rules, then you'll have to go. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of like saved by this church person yeah. and everyone was kind of like sent off on their own ways. And yeah, the show ended. Like we never, <laughs> we never played Ink and Dagger didn't play. Ryan and I were recounting the story to like Mouth of the Architect because they were from Dayton. Uh -huh. like, yeah, like how wild is that? And like Chris, our drummer, the whole time is like in the corner, just like oh no, yeah, oh he's no, like from there. <laughs> I was, I was the guy. I was the drummer in the opening band. Oh <laughs> my god! And it's like oh, you were <laughs> that a little, little fucker. You were a little shit. And he's like, I was totally a little shit. Oh, like, did I, he? So, did he know before you told the story? I, I think so. Like, okay, so he's he, just sitting there the whole time, so stewing. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like oh, he deserves crazy. it though. Yeah. But that's so great. he joined the band knowing that he had been a shit to you like years before. I don't know if he had like necessarily put all those pieces together. Yeah, but. I feel like he must have. Like, I don't know. Man, but, what a great story. That's awesome. Wait, did I read that in a fanzine somewhere? <laughs> I mean, Ink and Dagger were hardcore kids, but they were like they were older than us. You know, I was like nineteen, and they were plus in, they were vampires. Yeah, and they're vampires. Yeah, they were like in their mid twenties, and they like they drank, smoked pot. And mm -hmm. like, you know, we were all like straight edge kids, so like it was very taboo. But Ink and Dagger were known to like fuck with like the weird hardline hardcore kids as i mean as them, well they dude. should yeah. i mean being especially being from philly right they're from philly yep. yeah. yeah so i mean you know shit that hardcore straight edge shit got real stupid real fast yeah. like for a while there we played syracuse new york and syracuse was the home of earth crisis mm -hmm. who, Love that for people band. that don't know I earth do. crisis earth crisis was a vegan straight edge hardcore band super hardline like uh, had songs about took how, themselves very seriously. They did very serious. Yeah, yeah. about their first record. I, I listened to that record. Oh, I think the Firestorm yeah. EP yeah. is amazing. And I still listen to it. But they definitely were very serious in their. Are politics. they still serious? I think so. I think yeah, they're still I think a band. They were a band again. But like their first seven inch had a song about protecting fetuses because you know all life was sacred. Oh Jesus! So it was like it was like uh. vegan to the point of like we also have to like control women's bodies. <laughs> um, and Sean McCabe, the singer of Make a Dagger, like didn't like that. And so 
he went to an Earth Crisis show in a fur coat with like <laughs> so with punk, but with also cups not of punk. yogurt and threw cups of yogurt at them while they're because they're live cultures. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but this this did not sit well with the citizens of Syracuse. So when the tour came through Syracuse, oh, no. it was like this whole thing where it's like, is Ingrid Dagger allowed to play the show? If they play the show, is there going to be a fight? Like, how's this going to work? And it wound up that like the show went off. No one said anything. No one did anything. But like a bunch of the money that was collected at the door had like written on it. Like this money is not to go to Ink and Dagger. Oh, that's hilarious. hilarious. Yeah. That's kind of funky oh in a great way. Like very passive aggressive, but also kind of awesome. Can you yeah. imagine the auction for one of those dollar bills? Oh, yeah. still has it written on there. Well, I mean, yeah. Ink and Dagger were just like, can we have all those? And it's like, yeah, you can totally have all those. Please yeah. have all those. <laughs> Take all Hold the money. Yeah. The worst is when you go on tour with a band for like a long time and then you like you get off the tour and it's like I could not hum a <laughs> oh no bar of their <laughs> that music. is hardcore. And it's not for like not yeah, sure. seeing it or being exposed to it, but it's like nothing was like memorable and yeah. yeah. Nothing nothing sticks. That's always sad. Going back to how great Botch was, like so you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, more about me. We weren't yeah. we weren't gonna do this, but we're doing well, it. Well, I mean no, so so wait a minute. This is a good segue. This is a good segue. Okay, and it's a good compliment great. to Brian. So you played on two of my f- like favorite albums, all time favorites, which is Botch We Are the Romans and Russian Circles Empros. Oh wow, okay. Is, oh, I see is what you did one there. of my favorites. We haven't oh, yeah. talked much about Russian circles tours, which I imagine are a little bit different because you guys are a bit older and maybe a little bit more chill. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. I think like the best tour stories always come when you're like desperate and broke and hungry yeah. and you have to sure. like put yourselves in these precarious situations just to get by. And then the hope is that as you do it more, you like thin the herd in terms of like promoters and you find the people that you like and mm-hmm. you find the towns that you like and you make a little more money, so you're not sleeping on people's floors. So there just isn't as much drama. Yeah. There's not as much comedy of errors. So it's it's kind of bad for storytelling because it's like... Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, we wake up at 10 a.m. and drive for five hours and sound check and... Okay. You know. Absolutely. You're, you're playing it off well because, <laughs> you know, this is your adult band or whatever. Great fucking band, by the way. I don't have to oh, shine, shine too much smoke up your butt. Love that fucking band. But that being said... You're in a band called Russian Circles. And didn't you not tour Russia? <laughs> we did, yeah. I mean, I, I know that it's just a name thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But to me, like, what is the response to people? Do they wonder why you're... Uh, well, I do think, yeah, the name, I think, definitely helped us get into Russia. Is that true? I think so. Because, okay, I mean, we went to Russia for the first time on our first European tour. Mm-hmm. You know, and, like, that was, like, a big deal. Like, yeah. You know, like snakes had toured Europe like five times and hadn't gotten an invitation to go out there. But then, like Russian Circles and these Arms of Snakes did a tour together. It was the last time. Snakes Were you playing over. in both bands? I was playing in both bands. Double okay. duty. Yeah, and then cool. it was Circles' first time, and then Circles got an offer to play Moscow and Saint Petersburg, and so like we bundled Snakes in with that as part of the package. I mean, I think we broke into Russia because there was some intrigue about the name. Interesting. Um, I was wondering about that. That's why I asked. I was like. What's the deal with that? How does that work? Yeah, but there's weird things too where, you know, we did like an Eastern European tour when we put out our previous record, Guidance. Mm-hmm. We were just like, we're just going to do all of Eastern Europe in one swoop. So like we went out to Romania, you know, as far far out as like Bulgaria and all the 
God, I've always wanted to go there. Yeah, we did Both all those the places, all the Balkans and all the Baltic states, and it was cool. But we were like, oh yeah, can we do like Ukraine? Like, can we do like Kiev or something? And our booking agent's like, uh, your name's Russian Circles. Like, <laughs> oh. Ukrainians aren't wild about Russia. That makes like, oh, yeah, okay. You won't. All right, we'll skip that one. So every once in a while, there's like a thing where it's like, yeah, you we can't play Kiev, but otherwise, cool. it's not super big deal. I guess Russians thought a Russian circle was a Ferris wheel, which it's not. It's, <laughs> It's a hockey drill. <laughs> I'm, I'm in a band with two huge hockey fans. Hockey nerds. And it was a, an exercise from the Cold War. We'd do circles around hockey rink, I guess. I Thank know. you for answering my other question. All right. Yeah. yeah. That was my other question. Now you know. I know. Yeah. These are things I wanted to know about. Yeah. They grew up playing hockey in the same city and became friends through hockey. And so that was like the thing that brought them together. Yeah. Russian circles. What was it like touring out there? Like, what kind of stuff did you see culturally? Akimbo never got to Russia, but we got pretty far eastern in mm. Europe. And there's like little things that were just kind of weird and just felt like you weren't in a normal populated area anymore. Like yeah. you'd be driving and then you'd see like casino out in the middle of nowhere that just is like fucking dragons and wizards and swords. <laughs> like these statues of dragons that are just fucking enormous. Like in the middle saw, of nowhere. I never saw that. I saw like the weird like you'd be driving through a forest and then there'd be like... A random woman in like a puffy, and that's what coat. I was going to get to next yeah, yeah. is the mm. prostitutes who like work the roads, the forest. Yeah. yeah, the side like, roads, yeah. Um, and they have these like work out of a car, and they're just like hanging out there in the middle. No, you're driving, you don't see anybody, and then there's just like a woman in a miniskirt and a coat, yeah, hanging out, yeah. and she's got a car parked like hundred feet away. Super weird. Super, yeah, man. We've done four trips to Russia now, and it's a weird place. Like I think like the first time it was really exciting, and the second time it's like. Oh, okay. So now I know how it operates. <laughs> yeah. It's less exciting and more stressful than anything. Yeah. Like the last couple of times we went, I was just like, maybe I don't need to do this again. I don't know. <laughs> like, like the, the shows are really good. The people are really nice. It's just, it's such a strange and kind of difficult process to play there. You know, it's like you have to do all this visa paperwork. I was super uncomfortable with it, with all the recent anti-LGBT legislation. Because... Yeah, it's like I'm. It's gotten heavy. Over they're there. very open about it over yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, and it's weird because it's you know like the promoter was like it's not a big deal like you know like Moscow and St. Petersburg it's like L.A. and New York sure. they're like these cosmopolitan cities like no one's gonna hassle you but is it the kind of thing where he says it's not a big deal because he's a straight white guy and he doesn't have to worry about it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and our sound engineer around the time we did the third trip over there, and the third trip was the first trip where the anti-LGBT stuff was kind of mm-hmm. becoming an issue. Our friend Che was doing sound for us, and Che is a gay man. He is also black. He also has dreadlocks. And (laughs) he had been to Russia with us our second time, and when we were going back to Europe and had this offer for Moscow, there was some back and forth with the promoter. It's like, is this going to be safe for us? It's like, it'll be totally fine. Like, they just, they don't want, like, activists going out there. It's like, well, what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean for you? It's like, I'm a musician, and I'm very public about Mm -hmm. being a gay man. Does that make me an activist? And they're like, well, if they approve the visa, then they're not going to, like, arrest you when you get in the country. Like, you don't need to worry about it. So I was like, okay, well, I I guess I won't worry about it. And, like, I called up Che. I was like, I guess we're going to go to Russia. Like, are you in? And he's like, fuck no, I'm not in. He's not doing it. And I was like, well, you know, it's like I talked to the promoter. I'll be fine. And you know, it's not a big deal. And he's like, yeah, you're white. Like, he's like, yeah, sure. you know how many people were taking pictures of me last time we were in Russia? Like, just like people are like, oh, look, there's a black guy. I've never seen a black guy before. Oh, it's like man. taking pictures of him. He's like, that's already a huge target on my back. And he's like a performer too. So he, you know, he's 
very open about his sexuality and sure. like yeah. interviews online. So if you Google his name, you could probably dig some stuff up. So he's like, I'm not, I'm not. I mean, really fair good. enough. As yeah. he should be. Yeah. Who cares? Probably feel yeah. the same way. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. After that, I was like, oh yeah, touche. Like, yep. you probably shouldn't go over there. I wouldn't, wouldn't blame you. Yeah. Never really had an issue with any homophobia there, but it's still just, there's like weird cultural differences and things where it's just strange. Like the first time we went there, Russian Circles played the first night. We played like this art festival in this big old dilapidated factory, but it was like an art and fashion festival. And mm-hmm. there was like 2,000 people in this like big ballroom. Yeah. And we played that and it was super cool. And then the next night, Snakes were doing a club show. So we had to get all the equipment from the ballroom where we played the night before to this club down the street promoter like brought us downstairs and we have our guitars and pedals and all that stuff and we're like waiting for whatever car to show up and he just kind of goes out to the street and like puts out his hand and this random car just kind of pulls up and there's this exchange between him and the driver who's Mm. just like not a taxi just like a guy in a (laughs) car and I mean, well, shit, that shit happens in New It's like yeah, unofficial it's Uber. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the promoter like looks at Chris, our drummer, and is just like, all right, get in. And Chris is like, what? He's like, yeah, get in. So like, Chris gets in the car, and then the promoter just starts like grabbing our guitars and throwing them on top of Chris. And it's like, he's going to be the first car. You guys oh, will be in subsequent cars. <laughs> and like the door slams, and like you just see like just Chris. So shady, yeah, with like guy. this look of terror like, <laughs> as the door slams, and the car takes off. They're going to sell him and the guitars. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, yeah, but that, that was how we got around on the that tour. You, it was you're, just, you're finding Chris Common's liver on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was a little, I was very relieved and a little surprised to actually see him at the club. When Dude, our, yeah. Our car oh my yeah. God, that's so funny. Oh, it's um, <laughs> yeah, it's all. I guess they call them gypsy cabs, and it's just like yeah, you just like sense. stick your hand out until someone pulls over, and yeah. you negotiate a price and you get in. I mean, really, is it that much different than an Uber or Lyft? Because if you think about it, you're just doing that on the thing. You're not. It is at least there's know. like some some vetting. There's a but record. Is there, though? Uh, there's a uh, record, there's a record Jeff. of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. otherwise, if you go missing, you can trace it back. Yeah, word. Yeah, <laughs> so that was you know, and then like we played the show, and there was like some weird fight during the show and then like when we played there was like a couple on stage making out cool they wouldn't get off the stage (laughs) you know like bumping into the drums rolling on the floor making out Uh. it's like i don't know like what do you what do you do it's russia (laughs) every night was like that where it was just like something would happen or you know we went out to a bar with the promoter and a couple of his friends and like everyone's just doing vodka shots and there's like some weird system where if you want vodka from the bar you have to like put down like twenty dollars mm-hmm. and then you like get a ticket that shows what your balance is and you deduct it so it's like everything's just weird everything yeah, yeah. <laughs> not how it's done in a and then, capitalist yeah, american so, society or whatever and then someone goes into a bathroom and it's like oh wow there's like two people having sex in this stall. Like mm-hmm. some guy and his girlfriend are just like having sex in this bathroom stall in this bar in Russia. Weird. I can't remember who was the first person to find this out, but they like came back and told us and it's like, Oh, it's all like go in and <laughs> check see it what's out. Going on. That's, that's crazy. But by the time we like go back in, it's like turned into like this guy, like wailing on his girlfriend. Oh no. Oh, no. Just like, what? <laughs> yeah, just, I didn't know it was going to oh, go that so direction. Bad for laughing now. <laughs> I know. Oh, no. Just like, Crazy, crazy dark stuff and just, it's weird. Damn. All right, we're going to take a little break and listen to some Russian circles. Here is Kohokia off their new album, Blood Year, one of my favorite tracks of theirs. Mm -hmm. 
So we talked earlier at the beginning of this podcast, we talked a little bit about how you are actually supporting yourself with touring. Mm -hmm. To me, that feels very successful. You're a very successful person to me, you know, but, (laughs) but what does it feel like to you and what's your normal life like? You know what I mean? Now that you're actually making money and paying the rent as a touring musician. Right. Well, I mean, it involves a lot of touring. You know, that's the main source of income. We're pretty lucky in that all my projects have like vinyl enthusiasts that follow them. So nice. I'm sort of fortunate that we still sell things at the merch table and that helps. And we still have a back catalog that sells. And so, you know, a lot of what makes this possible is just having, you know, a history and a back catalog of different bands and things that continue to supplement the income but i mean we usually do at least two big tours a year you know we do like maybe the u.s and europe once a year and then you know you do like a lot of little supplemental things whether it's like festivals and or you know doing weird overseas markets australia or japan or southeast asia or things like that so yeah you're kind of busy all the time and then when i get home there's usually something i have to work on especially now because there's sumac and russian yeah i was gonna say you gotta spend like two days figuring out a sumac song (laughs) sumac stuff takes up uh, a lot of of time i'm such a sumac fan yeah me too such a sumac fan but holy shit i i don't have the skills to be in that band it's not even close for me like sometimes i want to pull people aside and be like i want you to understand what this entails it's like (laughs) on one of your social media feeds you posted a picture of how you try and remember a Sumac song and it's like numbers and lines and dots. And it's like this weird, like language you've taught yourself to like (laughs) figure out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can't read music and I don't know tablature Mm. and I don't even know if that would help because it's like three bars of something that's in seven, eight followed by like a bar that's in like nine, eight. I I wouldn't even know how to like write it out. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the stuff it's like, not note specific it just has to be like a percussive hit at a certain time and there's very little repetition so a lot of it's there's no really, chorus yeah happening it's very <laughs> linear like usually like if a part repeats it evolves or it like varies with each pass you have to like learn all the variations uh-huh. kind of realized on the last tour i was on that my like, right hand strumming sucks like i'm not good at fast strumming I don't believe that, yeah, but I go don't on. Either, but sure. Um, I, I really, I'm, I'm not. Seen you play, um, and I struggle with it. So I was like, I'm just gonna play more guitar when I'm at home as an exercise. I'm gonna learn some Fugazi songs. So I put on repeater, yeah. bunch and of like, right hand stuff. Yeah, just like as we call it as guitar players. Yeah, you know, a lot of like yeah. fast strummy stuff. And so I sat down, put on repeater, and like played through repeater and learned all the songs on repeater mm-hmm. with one pass. I always thought Fugazi songs were like not sophisticated, mm-hmm. but like certainly yeah. more sophisticated <laughs> than like Minor Threat. Like, yeah, but yeah, now there's... when you're in Sumac, Fugazi seems like it walk is in the park. so easy. It's like all octave chords. It's <laughs> yeah. all in four four. Yeah, sure. like, every yeah. once in a while, there'll be like a chromatic riff thrown in, but most of it, it's just like B E B A B. You know, but it's, it's really like, rhythm with them. Yeah, to me, which is important. Yeah, there's just a lot of trying to keep on top of things and trying to be creative, trying to yeah learn stuff, trying to remember stuff. Like I'm not sure if like my memory's worse or if I just have like so many songs in my head now. Like I don't sure. retain song information as well as mm-hmm. I used to. I mean, there's an aging thing. I'm gonna tell you, I'm older yeah. than you guys, and it's <laughs> yeah. like I need reps now. You know, I can't just like remember the song like I used to be able yeah. to. You know. Yeah, you talked a while ago about sustainability, about how sort of like in the These Arms Are Snakes era, we're like, oh, 
this might be sustainable. Maybe I shouldn't party as hard. Yeah. That was probably like a threshold for you to cross over of like, this is the next decade that I'm going to work on of like working on music. So looking forward at the next decade, how do you see this being sustainable in the future? But I, just this last month, I've been to a couple of shows that have had people who are like way older than me playing mm-hmm. music that is still like super impactful to and me. And super like, vital. I saw vital. Uh, saw the Melvins and Red Cross last yes. month. I saw Cherubs a couple nights mm-hmm. ago. Oh, my God. I saw um, At The Gates recently. And mm-hmm. it's just like all these bands that changed my life in my 20s yeah. are still playing. And I'm almost 40 now. Yeah. How are you going to keep making the Johns out there, like, continue yeah. to be blown away? I don't know. I mean, that's, like, the scary thing. Because bands like the Melvins are obviously, like, exceptions to the rule. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. sure. And Jackie Liebesite from Cannes had this saying where no band should last longer than like the lifespan of a family dog. <laughs> That's kind of true. Which is, yeah, it was just you know, like, sure to it for a large degree. Yeah, which is kind of brutal, but it's like, yeah, like 10 to 12 years. Like, how long did Fugazi last? Like, oh, yeah, about 12 years. And that seemed like a really long time because that was like the entirety of my early adolescence into like adulthood. Mm-hmm. But like, now it's like, oh yeah, 12 years isn't that long. That's how long I've been in Russian circles at this point. And you know, now it's like Sumac is five years old. And it's like, that's a half a decade? Like, how the fuck did that happen? I'm definitely very aware of the mortality of bands and mm-hmm. have always been like super mm-hmm. concerned about the lifespan and mortality of projects I've been involved with. I can't remember who I had this conversation with, but it was like 10, 15 years ago before Steve Buscemi was like the star he is now. Okay. But like back when he was kind of underground, like you'd be watching a movie and then like, I don't know what the, I don't know about this movie. And then like Steve Buscemi would show up in this movie and be like, all right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this all movie's right. all right. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this movie's probably going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> this movie, if it was going to be garbage, he probably wouldn't have taken this project. I feel like you're sort of building that status for yourself. Oh, like thanks. Steve Buscemi. Yeah, yeah. The Steve Buscemi. The Steve Buscemi of, heavy, of, of heavy music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, like if, if Brian's involved. That's annoying, like, though. You're a lot calmer. Like, oh, seriously, thanks. like, like yeah. if, if Brian's involved in a project, like, I'm going to check it out. Because yeah. been around forever and like everything you've done is of a quality yeah, that is it's quality is worth oh, thank you worth listening to. There's like a year where you did like a Sumac record and a Russian Circles. Oh, this is like every other year for you. Now, right? <laughs> yeah, but like it was the first time it happened. And I was like, I was like, oh fuck, Brian's really crushing it. He's really well, crushing it. <laughs> well, like thank you first of all. But yeah, like, and part of the thing with being a touring person is like. Like right now, I'm on like a two week break between big West Coast tour that we just finished. Yeah, and an East Coast tour. We're about Thank to you, go. Reno, by the way, for letting us borrow Brian. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's in Portland, so it's fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like for these last two weeks, it's like, man, I feel like I need to be doing something. Like I'm just like wasting my life. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's when you're off. It's you're a, off and you're not busy anymore and you're not moving. Yeah, and that's a weird feeling. It's right? the inertia yeah. thing where it's just like. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten better about it now. I used to actually deal with like, I don't like saying depression because I feel like that's fair to people that actually have depression to like compare what yeah, I go through right. to what they go through. But like just a general lethargy with think, like a, a little bit of like, I'm a sack of shit. I'm thrown in. <laughs> well, but don't you feel like, like the first two days you're just like, you want that feeling, right? It's like, for me, I just yeah. want to, ooh, yeah. like cushion, uh, you know? Like two days of like, I'm not going to do anything, but like, Hang out on my couch is like yeah. exciting. But then by the end of the two days, it's like. That's when the piece of shit thing. Yeah, comes it's in. like, what am I doing with my life? Like, how old am I? <laughs> like, 
And then it's like, man, I, I could be like working on a new record right now. There's that solo project. I've always kind of been like, why am I not doing that? And it's like, man, I put out like two records this year. At some point, you can't just like keep putting out a record every month because yeah. people aren't going to give a shit. Yeah. So you kind of have to like learn how to pace yourself and learn how to like be busy in productive ways, even though this is where I feel like an asshole saying this thing. Where it's like <laughs> the things that I do to relax are the things that like make me money, you know, on some level. Or it's like, <laughs> Do I like write a bunch of stuff on guitar? Cause that's kind of what I want to do. But like, is that work? Like, yeah. do I need to like take a break from work to really relax? Or maybe I'll just like put on some records and zone out. But yeah, is that work? Cause am I like, <laughs> are you researching? <laughs> yeah. yeah I doing, like, research, research yeah. things. Like what do I do that isn't involved with work at all? And should I be doing that? Or should I be doing something that's like more constructive? It's definitely a good problem to have, but it's definitely something that like requires kind of an ongoing self-reflection of, how do you budget your time if you're mm-hmm. an artist? And well, and selfishly, I am glad that you have that pressure on yourself because it yeah. means you're going to keep making kick-ass records. Oh, thanks, I appreciate uh, it. Brian. Thanks so much for yes, hanging out. Yes, thank you so much to us. Yeah, of course, for hanging thanks out. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And that was our friend Brian Cook. Oh, Brian, thanks so much for coming down. That was awesome. So good hanging out with you. That was great having a chance to get to talk with him at length about his experience playing music. It's yeah, awesome. We got a really good outtake, which wasn't in the podcast, but it's just us talking about music. And it was really fun because he knows so much about music. And yeah. Ooh, and how about that Ohio story? Oh, man, he got me with that one. I think I say <laughs> something like, did I read that in a zine? And no, I <laughs> nope. heard it on our last episode of our podcast because <laughs> he was telling it and I'm getting this flashback. Uh-huh, you know? uh-huh. <laughs> what was the flashback to? Is to Damien talking into your phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally the exact same story because Damien was in Nine Iron Spitfire and there as well. He's one of the ones causing trouble. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then it turns out that it's These Arms Are Snakes drummer Chris was the guy that was in everybody's face. Yep, yep. That is amazing. And you saw him recently, right? I did, yeah, at the Black Elk show. Uh-huh. I don't understand how that could be the same guy, first of all. And mm-hmm. second of all, I really loved hearing it from Brian's point of view. And that's, you know, people remember things differently, right? And so this just it goes to show you it's the same story told two different ways, and it's still fun to listen that's, to. I've had a couple people who were there for other stories that have happened in other episodes that we've done. Uh-huh. And they, they say, like, I don't remember it going quite that way. So we I don't. think um, we're actually going to maybe have them on set the record straight in That's the future. Hey, uh, Jeff, can I do something gross? Uh, sure. This is going to be real disgusting. I'll be prepared to You do don't that. have to look if you don't want to. <laughs> if you're listening to this show and you want to hear more, we could use some likes and reviews, some likes. stars, however they do it on whatever service or platform you listen to. Give us some positive um, feedback. Yeah. We want to make more of the show. It helps us make more of it more often if you could do that. I'm looking at my phone right now. I have an iPhone. There's a little icon, podcast purple. Go in there, tomorrow we die, and then you see some stars and you can like write us some text, some bullshit. Literally, write whatever you want. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like this person says, amazing, please add the name of the bands to the titles. Like Feedback, give us feedback, whatever you want. Sure, that's fine. <laughs> as long as it's five stars. Uh, <laughs> thank you in advance. So, sorry to sign off on a sad note, but we wanted to pay respects to a local Seattle musician who unfortunately passed away recently. Elijah Nelson, notorious Seattle musician, probably most popular from his bass playing in the band Black Breath. Yeah, the uh, wizard, the red-headed king. Yeah, unfortunately passed away just before the end of the year. I didn't know him that well. I was a huge fan of his music, huge fan of his stage presence. 
I'll never forget the first time I saw Black Breath. I still listen to Black Breath records all the time. There's no cause of death reported. We're going to just leave it at that Mm -hmm. out of respect. He's such a friendly, chill person. I only knew him in passing, but again, such a big fan of his music. And yeah, I still listen to Black Breath all the time. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think they're one of the best metal bands to ever come out of Seattle. Oh, Um, yeah. I definitely hold them up in very high regards. I had a really fun, uh, really positive conversation with Elijah um, on Halloween, actually, when I did Sound of the Highline for uh, his Sepultura cover band and a bunch of other local cover bands. It was really cool. There's like a Rocky Erickson cover band. Everyone's in really good mood. All homies, mm-hmm. all friends hanging out. Yeah. And uh, he was like, Yeah, man, I think we're going to do this again. It's so much fun. You know, and we just, we were having such a blast. And that's a good memory for yeah. me to have for, you know, my last conversation with the guy. I used to, I've done sound for Black Breath many, many, many times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was happy to do it every single time. Well, to properly pay respects, here's his bandmate and friend of the show, Freiberger, with a memorial message about Elijah. I'll try to make this short and sweet. Uh, you know, we never toured together. Our bands, and I was, you know, we never played in a band together besides this last year for Halloween when we uh, we got together. We actually spent 10 months learning all of Arise by Sepultura. And that was supposed to be the, I mean, it was the, the beginning of the band. You know, we had dreams of doing a you know, knuckle-dragging, caveman riff, death metal band, and it was going to start with Sepultura. So I just wanted to give y'all a funny glimpse into what it was like to create music with Elijah Nelson. Uh, I have a text here from our group line. So right before we played the show, which was, you know, like almost 10 months worth of build-up for what one cover set is kind of ridiculous. But when you want to pay homage to a band that you truly love and respect it all your entire life, it, it takes a lot of work. And uh, we all have other things in our life, other bands, you know. We didn't have a jam space. We had to break down someone's drum set and put together our drummer's drum set every week. But it was important to practice up and get ready to play but you know i have this message give a glimpse into what it was like to play music with elijah poison whiskers can we all go out to breakfast or kill something together and eat it i don't want to not see you guys for a year this is the hardest i've worked on something with no hope or fame fortune or babes and it's changing my life I always felt that way anyway, but watching other people learn their own lessons is what skateboarding is all about, right? I'm too drunk to play guitar, and I love yelling at my Bluetooth lava lamp because I suck. Very stoked for Sunday. Fingernail painting emoji, brain emoji, rainbow emoji. (sighs) Elijah was a fucking rainbow demon. The Poison Wizard, a bright light in a very dark world. Thanks, Freiberger. Love you, you, bud. Nothing but love to Elijah's friends, family, and bandmates. This show is about touring musicians telling incredible stories from their lives as they remember them. Humans are generally pretty great, but we all know that memory fades over time, and that in the moment, people interpret situations differently based on their personality, background, state of mind, drugs they were on, intoxication level, etc., etc., 
The important thing to get across here is that at no point should these stories be considered hard facts or perfectly accurate portrayals of real events. If by some chance you were there for something that was talked about on this show or know someone who was and heard a different side of the story. If you feel we've been inaccurate or misrepresentative in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out. Help us set the record straight. Tomorrow we die podcast at gmail.com. We'll read everything. And to any road warriors out there who might be listening, we want to hear your stories too. If you have a crazy moment from the road you want to share with us, then please drop us a line on email. Write it up as succinctly as possible, please. We don't want to read your autobiography. And if we have the time, we'll read it on a future episode. Feel free to plug yourself in the band as well. Again, the email address is tomorrow we die podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And once again, I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And I'm John Wisniewski, and this is Tomorrow Tomorrow We We Die. Find us on the internet. Our website is www.tomorrowwediedie.com. And remember, that's two W's, T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-W-E-D-I-E.com. On Twitter, we're at Tomorrow We Die PC. Instagram, at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Facebook page is at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Our email address is tomorrowwediepodcast at gmail.com, and the show is published on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and SoundCloud. Podcast production by myself, Jeffrey M. McNulty, at the Pachinko Parlor, Seattle, Washington. The background music is from Null Frequency Impulsor. Thanks so much for listening.